and welcome to Talking Business with me, Danny Pardo. In these interviews, we'll be exploring employability insights, career advice, educational experiences, life stories and more from a wide variety of people in a wide variety of industries with the ultimate aim of helping you to make decisions about your studies and your career. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review, share and subscribe to this podcast. It's all very much appreciated. So here we go. Let's talk business. We are talking with Riddy today and we've got a story about a location change, a career change, running volunteer projects, setting up businesses and importantly sustainable transport, the reasons for it, why we need to do it and how we can all get involved and get stuck into making a positive change to the areas we live in. So let's talk business with Riddy. Hello everyone and welcome to Talking Business. We are focusing on transport again at some point during this conversation anyway with Riddy. Hello Riddy, how are you today? Hi Danny, I'm really well thanks actually, how are you? I'm very well, thank you very much and thank you so much for taking the time to, to have a chat with us. Um, now people aren't here to listen to me, they're here to listen to you. So uh, as we get into this discussion, which I feel might go in a variety of directions, which is great, the more the merrier. Um, let me kick off with who is Riddy? Who, who am I speaking with today? So I I think I'm now officially a Brummie because I've been here longer than I've been anywhere else uh, in the country. Um, okay. I grew up um but i've been here since i started university um in 2006 i think and yeah i've been here ever since Uh, i studied philosophy at uni um which got me somewhere i'm not sure where but it got me somewhere um and um and now i work for sustrans so sustrans is a cycling and walking charity and we support people to cycle and walk uh we want to make the space better for people we want to make the environment better we want to make the infrastructure better we want to make the availability and the affordability not well not necessarily affordability but availability better for people so um yeah i've been on a long journey to get to this point and i've done a lot of different things in between um so yeah we can we can touch on some yeah, I mean, let, let's get into that journey, then, shall we? What What is your current job title? So we know, like, the end uh, result of your career, if that's a, a thing that you can say. Uh, what, what's your the current, current point, job title? The current point. The current point. There we go. Yeah, it's there not the go. end. I'm not done this yet. Is, this is like my 25th interview, and I'm like, what, what am I trying to say? So, <laughs> yes, it's an ongoing journey, shall we say. Yes, yes. definitely. Um, so what's your current job title, really, at Sustrans? So currently I'm a partnerships manager um, for the West Midlands. So that means that I develop relationships with people. I do some of that networking element. I look for the opportunities for our staff. So where there might be some job opportunities or project opportunities for our staff to work on. Um, I work with the local authorities. So a large part of my role is raising ambition. So within the transport environment and within the active transport environment, um, there is always this underlying theme of active travel and wanting people to get in and walking, but sometimes people lack the ambition or the courage to make the next step because it can be scary because it's not what we've always done. Um, we've always focused on the car. We've always focused on um, that sort of personal mobility around the vehicle. And so to change that to active travel can take courage and ambition. So part of my role is to develop that and grow that within um, people in the local authorities and when I say local authorities I mean like Birmingham City Council or Coventry City Council and I work across the West Midlands so I work from yeah Wolverhampton to Shropshire and Herefordshire and um, all the places in between um, and so it's it's showcasing some of the work we've already done and um, looking at the opportunities that we can provide and talking about the things that went well and even talking about things that didn't go so well that we want to, to improve on. So it's it's really about lots of conversations. I spend a lot of my time having lots of really heartening conversations with a lot of different people from businesses and uh, officers in the council to uh, charities and other uh, organisations working in the same sector. So that's what I do now. Um, but it's been a bit of a journey to get here. Um, not a bad journey, that makes it sound bad, but um, just a ver- ver- varied journey is the word I'm looking yeah. for. So I, like I said, I came to Birmingham to go to university. So I'm originally from London via Kent, 
as my parents still live in Kent. And um, I study philosophy. And during my degree, actually during my master's degree, so I went on to do a master's, I, I met my business partner or my ex-business partner, I suppose, um, not in a bad way, in a good way. Um, and we started talking about, so she's an artist, and we started talking about limited opportunity for artists available in the city and how um if you wanted to showcase your artwork you kind of had to pay and hire a space and and you you had you had to be in a position to be able to do that and so we wanted to create a space that didn't have those financial barriers um so we set up a sort of community arts cafe where we'd have we had two sort of huge walls um for community-led art exhibitions and they were two weeks long and it was a first come first serve basis and there was no rules other than it could it had to be family appropriate because it was a family space and you needed at least two or three pieces it couldn't just be sort of one piece of work so then we just got a booking system and, and we set this this cafe up and then people started showcasing their artwork um the cafe was yeah part of uh, a big part of my birmingham life really um it seven or eight months to set up. We did the whole thing with volunteers. So we found this space, which was basically a junk room. Uh, there was bricks and bags of rubble and the ceiling was falling down and the walls were half painted. And we just got like a big group of people, a big group of volunteers. We actually did that a bit through friends and a bit through sort of contacts, but then we put a blog up um, about what we were trying to do. Um, and then a few people came through from the blog and on the blog we had things like wish list we want 12 chairs and then suddenly these chairs would appear and we want your uh, old plates and cutlery that you no longer use and all of this sort of stuff would appear but the main sort of build aspect of it all was yeah through volunteers um we held a fundraiser where we sold food and sold well had an auction of services so friends offered things like our bike mechanic friend offered a bike mm -hmm. And our, our Whereabouts was this cafe? It's right by the college, actually, uh, or, or cafe. So it's um, on Mosley Road, opposite the Mosley Swim Baths, um, and it's not there anymore in in the capacity that I started it in. But it is still there. There is still a cafe there, and it's run by another organisation, which actually is a really good one to have a look at. It's called mm -hmm. Gap, um, and they support young people um, through arts projects. So that's another one to look up. Um, what was the name of that again? I uh, I hummed at the same time and the microphone went <laughs> The new cafe is called The Mix and the, the organisation that run it is called The Gap. And um, I'll send you the links and you can link link people to that. Yeah, please do. I mean, it sounds like then you, you couldn't have done that without volunteers and goodwill. You know, volunteering is something yeah. I kind of say to my students a lot, but it's just me saying the same thing over and over again and they've switched off by the time I get to vol. Um, So, you know, I mean, you couldn't have done that then without volunteers and, and kindness of a local community, I presume. Not at all. And a huge part of that space and that community was uh, about the volunteers because the people that supported us to build the space then felt ownership of the space and they supported it. So they told their friends about it and then their friends told their friends about it. And when they came and when they were there having a cup of tea, they offered, oh, do you need help with weeding the planters outside? Like because they'd helped build it, they felt connected to it. Mm -hmm. And the process of getting this whole cafe, there was lots of things involved that actually would be really relevant again to to the students um, that you're working with. So things like going to the Prince's Trust and doing um, an entrepreneurship course that we did, and that really supported us to help us write a business plan, help us um, develop cash flow sheets, help us understand accounts and um, some of the legal sides of running a business. Um, it also helped us to get a, a grant um, and then um, some other do some other fundraising, but do it in a very robust and sort of um, more focused way and get that support from that organization. But it also then directed us to some of the free support that was available that I'm not sure what's available at the moment, but is always worth looking for. So we had an hour free with a lawyer. We had an hour free with an accountant. Um, we had, um, we did the mentoring program through um, Prince's Trust as well and got a, um, a mentor from the Royal Bank of Scotland who would meet with us once a month and help us through different problems. So there's lots of different support that was available that we asked for and, and took. And I think that's another key takeaway from that is that 
a big project and something that's really important and especially uh, involves lots of people, involves the community, involves volunteers, can't be done alone. You have to work with the people around you that want to support you with it. And I think that some of that learning has really gone into my future role since. So after the cafe, we sold the cafe in the end. Um, and then I worked for myself for 10 years and I, um, or, or five years after that, I suppose, and doing lots of things, research projects, working with the community, um, uh, trying to fundraise for different community projects, um, yeah, projects looking at how volunteers could be more involved. And because I developed all these relationships and built all this network around the cafe um, and made all these connections through people that came in and wanted to use the cafe as a connecting space. And it was, it was a space where people came in, met someone else that had a similar idea to them or ideal to them or, or thought processes. And then stuff blossomed and stuff happened. And I still know of relationships and partnerships and working projects that exist because they'd met in this space. So in the same I, I developed all these relationships with all these different partners across the city because they came in to have a cup of tea and I got talking to them and that's led to all that work that I did self-employed and that's now led to half of the relationships that I have within my current role at Sustrans. Yeah. So I mean, I mean that's sorry I mean that's a prime example yeah. um bear with me one second hold on a second so my daughter's coming in looking for something hold on here's <laughs> what can I help you with That on the table. <laughs> right, that bit's getting edited. Uh, <laughs> um, where were we? Oh, yes. So, I mean, so um, that's a prime example then of, of not burning your bridges, isn't it? And those networking and the connections that you generate organically just from yes. doing your thing uh, yes. and the importance of keeping those connections and building on that because you never know when you're going to need them for future projects and things absolutely and that element of supporting those relationships that you build is a very time-consuming thing but it is worth it like just keeping in touch with and now I do it in a very different way than I did it back then back then it was sort of a few social media posts or an email here or there or a, a, a like on something that they've done as part of their project and now it's a bit more strategic. You know, I have a list of people that I really want to make sure that I keep in touch with and that I, I make sure that I'm regularly contacted them and sharing information, but not too much because then they get fed up of hearing from you. So it is, it's a skill set and it's a really fine balance. And I think that that's something that we, we, we need to learn how to do better is managing the relationships and networking in that, in that middle ground where you're just involved enough so that everybody remembers your name but not so involved that everybody hates your name <laughs> yes that's right constantly telling them the same thing over and over again it's like yeah i know you told me about your website yesterday and something <laughs> i'm trying not to do too much of but it's a tricky it's a tricky balance isn't it because everybody's different as well um i mean what would you say to students in terms of social media presence and being online because a lot of them live on tiktok snapchat instagram um post all kinds of things and i always say i'm not following them because i don't want to know what they do at the weekend um how important is like students looking after their social media presence online and kind of selling themselves on it for me social media is a tool not a space to well, like you said live on but that's my personal opinion on it i think being knowing that everything you put out there is always going to be out there is is always the way i've always thought about it so putting something online that you might think in a few months weeks years you don't want other people to see just sort of thinking about the content that you put out there i very i use it in a professional capacity only so i use it to connect with people that are doing work that are similar to my ideals and goals um so i use that on my professional and personal profiles but it's mostly all professional connections like i'll connect with a local park that's got a cycle route through it that i want to talk to you about hey, how can we make sure that pedestrians and cyclists are all working together on this space because it's not a very wide path and how can we make sure that everyone's happy with the space that they're using? So I do use it in a very sort of work-based context. Um, but I think, I think that there's a lot of content out there and being selective about what you post and engage with is important because otherwise you get lost in it. Um, and I think, yeah, that key element for me is putting content on there that you know you want the legacy for it to stay and not something that you might be embarrassed about 
Yeah, that's right. Because once it's there, it's there, isn't it? Somebody screenshotted it somewhere or it's on some kind of server somewhere, but somebody drags up. So got to be careful about that. All right. So let's go back to your career journey then. So we've got 2005, six, you come to Birmingham. Um, you've got the arts project, the arts cafe. Um, so where are we up to now? You said you did that for, what did you say, 10 years, something like that? Um, oh, so we, so something like that. Yeah. So, so we're about 2016, 17 now. And yeah. you know, you're not doing the cafe anymore more the arts project but you've moved on um so we're still about three or four years away from where we are now so can you fill that gap for us then yeah so it was um, a little bit further ahead than that but um i took a, a break a career break uh, during maternity and um, so i was off for a few months um when i had my son um and then i knew at that point that all the work that i've been doing in birmingham in and around the city and all that sort of connective and community work was all great and I was really proud of the work I was doing but I knew it was at a particular level it was the only the level that I could engage with and in order for me to get one step up I needed to work with other people so that's where I started looking for employed jobs rather than self-employed jobs and um, looking for work where I could be part of a team that could influence at a slightly higher level and that's where I found the job at Sustrans. And I started at Sustrans as an officer, as a project officer, working on a very specific project, which we've come to talk about in a minute, which is um, where we've just finished, released the final report for the project. Um, and then I, last Christmas, um, so that's sort of two years, and then last Christmas I uh, sort of got a promotion or applied for a promotion and, and now the partnerships manager in the region. Um, so that project that I was working on for the two years was called Age Friendly Tyburn, and it was looking at how we evaluate, audit and change the built environment, the physical environment around us to make it more accessible and easier to get around. Because looking well, by looking at um, that physical environment as a factor of social isolation, so looking at people's inability to get from their house to the community space as a factor of their social uh, isolation. So if you can't cross the road because it's a really busy road, you can't then get to the, the community space. So then you don't feel connected to that community space. That's a very simple way of putting it. But it was a two year project. We initially did some auditing work um, where we developed an audit tool. And actually I'm gonna share that with you so that maybe you want to have a go at doing an audit around or even independently students can have a go at doing it on the streets near their houses. Um, be careful. <laughs> uh, cross the road safely. But you're all grown ups now. So um, we'll practice. It's fine. <laughs> it's all right. My son's three, so I have to remind him to look for the traffic all the time before he. Runs. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm in that mindset as well. You know, this is how you cross the road, and you will stand there, and you will look this way. And then I go out with students, and I'm like, Yeah, we're kind of yeah, we're eighteen. <laughs> so we're all right. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, so the audit tool is basically a set of criteria, a set of principles that are, well, a set of questions really with three different categories of answer. So the question might be, is there sufficient lighting um, in, in the area? And the answers might be not enough, um, some but, or, or none, some but okay, or good lighting. So sort of rough example of a question and you would rate the area that you're surveying. So whether it's a particular street, whether it's a, a whole route. So we did route audits as well. So like from um, uh, the nearest bus stop to the community space, so that space, routes that people might be using regularly, for example. So, and then you tally up the answers on your audit and then you've got a sort of a picture of what the area looks like. And then from that, we then developed some trials that could look at how we could change that space. So whether it was increasing the green person time on the crossing, whether it was um, uh, we did a, a bigger street trial of looking at uh, blocking off some of the roads or changing the way the traffic moves around some of those roads to, to slow some of that traffic down because uh, the speeds of the traffic and the volumes of the traffic were another issue. Um, we looked at some trials of things like how to reduce or, uh, well, to stop pavement parking really. So we put um, what we call street here, which is essentially giant Lego, giant Duplo, um, are filled with water, uh, like 40 kilos, kilos of water. So, um, and they go, it goes on the street and it connects up and it, and it provides a barrier, but it can also provide a seat 
Um, so it stops people from pavement parking, but it also then provides a seating space. So then it, it's, again, another adaptation to support people to make independent journeys. One pop-up we did, for example, people said, I can walk to the shop, but then it's too much for me to then do all my shopping, walking around the shop and walk home all in one go. And bear in mind, this project was ageing better Cyburn, so we were mainly focusing on an older population um, uh, and older community and all, the, all, the, all of our... Uh, interactions were with older people. So it was things like benches, like putting in a bench outside the supermarket meant that you could walk there, take a rest, then do your shopping, take a rest, and then walk back. And it just meant that that didn't mean that someone had to do the shopping for them, for that person. It didn't mean that they had to spend money on a taxi, which they may, may or not, may not have. And it didn't mean that they felt isolated from their communities because actually when they sat down on that bench, maybe the neighbour from three doors down was also sat down on that bench and then actually the social interaction and the conversation also happening. So the report, uh, there is a report, I will link you to it. It's, it's, a, it's a fairly straightforward read. Um, we tried to make it as accessible as possible so that it didn't feel like it was, uh, I don't know, the Ulysses of today, which a lot yeah. of reports feel Sometimes like. Sometimes when you hear the word report, you go, well, I'm not reading that. Um, well, but, exactly. Know, <laughs> they have changed a bit. And obviously that's a conscious decision of yourselves as well. But if you're going to do all this for the local community, then the community need to know what you're doing. And yeah. if that turns into a more graphical, easier to read, interesting document, um, then that's that's what you have to do. I mean, it seems like you're talking about things that we just take for granted. Oh, there's a streetlight. Oh, there's a pavement. Oh, there's a bench. You know, all these things that you would you wouldn't think about. Uh, you know, me included, you wouldn't think that, oh, well, somebody's had to think, well, why is that bench fair? Where are people coming from? Where are they going to? And all these things, the planning process behind it is quite intense. Are you, are you finding there's, you're battling a legacy of, of kind of urban design that's been designed for cars? I mean, this is not to knock anybody who did the original design, because obviously our, our lives change in 20, 40, 60 years. But as we move forward and, and cycling and whether self-driving vehicles come on board uh, to the extent they're planning to um, and walking and the importance of all these things are you finding you're battling a bit of a legacy that things just weren't designed for what we need them for now yes uh the short answer to your question is yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> especially here in birmingham the city was designed uh, for cars um and a lot of the infrastructure around here is designed for cars and I think we are starting, we as a city are starting to wake up to that. Um, it's really visible in the Birmingham Transport Plan, which again, I'll link to, which is again, another, I'm very impressed, easy read report, something that we can all access and read. And um, I'm you know, impressed that Birmingham City Council have made the effort to make sure that everyone can have a look at that. But what I'm trying to say is that there is a step change. There are people that are looking at the way that we've designed for vehicles um, and trying to look at how we incorporate active travel. So whether that's cycling, walking, um, how we integrate with public transport. So um, a key example is reallocating road space. So this is a big thing that government, local government, as well as national government have now advocated and said, look, we need to start changing the way we use our roads we need to start allocating that space and taking it away from cars and giving it to active travel um i think you may have seen there's various cartoons where you've got two lanes of traffic and it's bumper to bumper jam-packed with cars and then someone goes oh let's widen that road and then you see four lanes of traffic and it's still bumper to bumper with cars yeah. it's almost like you build the road and then uh, for the cars so the cars will fill it um whereas if you take that same space put half of it for cycles the aim would be that you have however many cars you have but then you'd also have this additional of cycling um sometimes we do a, a report every two years called bike life i've handily got mine right here oh look at that <laughs> uh, so this is the west midlands one but we do them in various different cities i think it's 18 now cities yeah. across and a national one and i will again link you to that you'll have to remind me all these links um, yeah no i know it's going to be a lot coming my way i like it keep them coming yeah absolutely and so this talks about um people's 
a propensity to cycle, what they want to do, what they want to see, that the barriers that they face, um, uh, the, the types of people that already cycle, the types of people that have said that they would like to cycle. Um, a big thing that people talk about is safety in this report and that just want safer infrastructure. So that's where that whole, you know, it all links back to that reallocating of roadways. If you've got dedicated, protected, segregated space for cycles, more people will feel comfortable using it. And so then you will increase that mode shift to so shift from one particular mode of transport to another, um, shift from cars to the bikes. Um, and it will, it, it, there's lots of different demographics of people that have said that safety is paramount. Women in particular say, I would like to feel safe when I cycle. And so, yeah, it's nice to, nice to see the links and the connections. Yeah, and this is definitely like a long-term project, isn't it? You know, we talk about in class tactical objectives being very short-term in the next year or two and strategic being say five to 10 years. And, you know, as a cyclist myself and as a car driver myself, um, I, I kind of see both sides of, of uh, discussions. I'm not going to say arguments, discussions as to what should happen. And there's a lot of people who are very opinionated about, but uh, I've spent all this money on my car. I'm going to drive it. Um, but the, this long term shift that you really are trying to put in. Um, I mean, how, how far what are you currently working on in terms of your big projects and, and how far forward are you thinking in terms of the, the planning that you're doing at SOSTRANS? So SOSTRANS has two strategic priorities, and these are paths for everyone and livable cities and towns for everyone. So our paths for everyone is looking at that cycle infrastructure. So you may have seen those, um, the National Cycle Network, uh, little blue uh, arrows with the little red number um, and they're all up and down the country and so that's one of our priorities and that's looking at making that fully off-road by 2040 or traffic free actually I should say so fully segregated or traffic free by 2040 so that's the sort of trajectory that's that's taking and it will take some years and it will take some time in the short term on that project we're looking at barrier removal and we're looking at um, wayfinding and route navigation so making what's already there as accessible as possible is that short-term goal. And in the long-term, improving it to the point where it feels comfortable and safe for everyone um, to be able to utilize and, feel, uh, and be free of traffic. So that's sort of the short-term and then the longer-term goals in that side of things. And then the other one, livable cities and towns, is looking at the spaces around us and how we make them more livable and how we make people how we allow people to access them without the need of a car. Like you, I'm a driver and a cyclist. Uh, I see the value of my car um, and I see the value of being able to have access to it um, and use it for particular journeys. But I also see that if the, 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 the journey that we're all taking in the car, for want of a better, less, less of a pun, um, is that we are automatically we automatically rely on them don't we we open the door we get in the car and we go off and do things and we need to be changing that knee-jerk mindset because we cannot continue the way we're continuing we cannot continue to put the number of cars on the road that there are there isn't enough space for them as i already mentioned with the traffic jams the pollution around it is is getting worse it's not uh, something that's um, that we want to be making even worse than it already is. We saw the levels of pollution reduced during lockdown because less people were driving. So health, people's health, we need to be looking at um, short people using active travel to make health their health benefits, both mental and physical. And so this strategy looks at all of those elements. It looks at how we look at active travel in the whole and all of the different elements of it. And in short term, we're looking at things like behavior change projects where we support people to learn how to ride. We support people to access the infrastructure. So um, access bike parking, access facilities at the workspace, access um, um, uh, training sessions and, and confidence building sessions. So in the short term, it's a little bit around that. And in the longer term, it's about building that infrastructure and changing that mindset of those local authorities to be able to look at how we incorporate active travel into all of the things that we do. It shouldn't just be part of the transport policy of these roads are being built. Oh, let's stick a bike lane here or let's stick a bike crossing here. It's about this crossing is relevant to these schools and this hospital and this shopping facility. And then we need to put the trip end stuff. So the 
the secure bike parking in at the end. Um, we need shower facilities at workplaces. We need to change the mindset of um, the employers to say, actually, we're going to build in, say, 10 minutes of your workday to allow you to get changed and have a shower if you cycle to work. So those are some of the, you know, the ways we work with, with businesses. So in the short term, it's about changing and then raising ambition. In the longer term, it's about changing the environment around us. Um, so I hope that answered your question. I rambled oh, yeah, that, that's amazing. In fact, it kind of ruined two of my next two questions because you oh, answered them. Um, but, <laughs> but no, I mean, that, that's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, there's so many things. I mean, I don't mean to hark on about taking things for granted, but the ability to shower when you get to work is such a major factor, especially with the summer months coming. Um, I mean, I my cycle is 10 miles. And uh, I suppose wow. I need a shower when I get there. Um, <laughs> but it is things like that that people go, well, I can't because I can't carry my suit. I can't get changed when I'm there. I've got meetings with clients or, or teaching classes all day. Uh, and things like that could stop so many people. And it is that that behavioural behavioral shift, there we go, got it right second time, is huge. And, and that's something I, I've been quite concerned about with my students. You know, I do the quick polls in class, who's learning to drive and who cycles regularly. And it is literally maybe one or two per class who cycle. And the number of people learning to drive is way more. And to think that if we were going to have three or four, let's say three or four students in my class drive, and you multiply that by all the classes around the, uh, around the college, you know, we, we don't have room parking spaces. We probably don't have 50 parking spaces in walking distance of the college. So if you were going to add another 100 or so cars to, to the road, it just, it's not going to work. Um, so it's there really interesting what you're doing there. Sorry to interrupt you. There are lots of other barriers that we are looking at. So more male students cycle than female students um, and looking at those different barriers. We tried to do some workshops. Well, we've not tried. We've done some workshops with um, a particularly a Muslim school in Leicester um, where the, uh, the, the pupils there, it's, they've got two schools. One's the, the boys and one's the girls. And we worked specifically with the girls' school looking at, and because the, the, the girls' school, the, the uniform is traditional. And yeah. so it's difficult for some of the women, some of the women and girls to cycle in that. So we did a workshop with um, some, with a, a, one of our Muslim members of staff who has experienced how to adjust her outfit, her, her dress, to make it accessible for her to also cycle. So it's looking at the very specific things that, that some people might find as a barrier and finding ways to support people with, with that compassion and with that understanding that it was not going to be easy for everybody and it's not going to be um, straightforward as just getting out, getting on your bike and going. We recently ran a campaign called Helmets, Hijabs and Hair where we were looking at how different people from different backgrounds with different hairstyles style their hair in order to get a helmet on and it's not... It's easy for some people. I mean, there's also this part of it is part of it is wanting to look professional and um, and uh, uh, presentable when you get to school or work. And part of it is that some natural hairstyles are difficult to style under a helmet. So looking at that as a as a, a positive challenge to ask the community around you to say, how do you style your hair in order to make it look professional for you to feel confident and comfortable? but also still to access something like cycling. And then one other thing that is one important one to raise now, I mean, there's hundreds and I could go on forever and I won't, but um, is cycle parking, which yes, okay, it's great that the college might have cycle parking, but we need to think about the parking at home. If you live, and I, as I did in Borsal Heath, but in the terraced house, um, you've got very limited parking space for, for a bike within your property. Um, and we only had, I mean, we were lucky enough to have a garden and had a small garden, so we had somewhere to put it there, but not everybody does have that. And you know, it's looking at that element of it as well. It's not just getting a bike, it's then looking at how you store it and how you maintain it and providing the skills for people to maintain it themselves. And it's a whole picture. There's not one different, one thing that will support everybody to get to their final destination on a bike. It's looking at all the pieces of the puzzle, but it's people feeling confident to ask for that help and support as well and saying, this is the reason why I can't cycle. 
And at the moment, I don't think that space exists, especially for young women. I don't think that the space to say, this is why I'm finding it difficult, or this is why I don't do it. I don't think that space is there. And that's something we're trying to create more of, is that space to talk and that space to converse. And equally, if any of your students want to talk a bit more about how to cycle, um, any of your female students want to talk a bit more about how to cycle and what their personal barriers might be, then I'm willing to have a chat. That is so kind and thank you. I, I will definitely be uh, putting that to him and no day taking you up on that offer. Um, so another question here then in terms of what's the point of all this and to kind of preface that question, um, my views, I've always been kind of pro-environment and save the planet and um, I'm not going to get too much into detail, but I'm sure you get the gist of what I'm saying there. But, you know, and as a dad, you know, a dad of five and a half, almost six years now, I've really try to make a conscious decision that we have got to change you know I would love for my daughter to be able to cycle to school um but at the moment that doesn't work with the roads and the areas we go down so as but as a dad I've really felt gosh I've, I've got to do something and if that means cycling three or four days a week rather than car five days a week then, then that's a shift I'm doing um so in terms of what's the point and has being a mum yourself kind of changed your views or anything because you're obviously very passionate about what you do um, has that come along more as never you, you're a parent? Uh, and what is the point of doing all this strange stuff? Why bother getting on bikes and walking? Firstly, because it's fun. <laughs> um, I feel I feel a sense of freedom when I get on my bike that I don't feel when I get in the car. And that sounds cheesy. And um, I think some people are probably giggling at me right now or laughing at me right now but it's true I do I feel free I feel for me part of it's mental health so I love my ride to work I've only got less than you some six miles ish to work so it's about half an hour and um it allows me to switch off my mum brain after breakfast rice krispies in my hair um whatever else has gone on and switch that little brain off and switch on my other brain that says, right, I'm now such trans staff. I need to think about these things and have these conversations with people. And in reverse on the way home, switch off my work stuff, go back into mum. What puzzles and games are we going to play this evening? So partly is that. Partly it's the physical activity. I have noticed in lockdown where I've been working from home, I just don't get enough physical activity. And lots and lots and lots of research shows that rather than organised sports, active travel to school or work or college is the best way to keep fit because it's regular. It's uh, it's a route that you will do all the time. So you can use that route. Like you do, you do the same five miles or four miles or whatever. So you can use that route to improve. It's like a, there's a there's a learning and improvement route there. Um, and because you're doing it every day or three days a week or four days a week or whatever you're doing. So there's lots of research out there that shows it's the best way to improve your fitness. Um, so that's something to look into. And then like you for the environment, it's really important. We have very little time left to change the way we behave in order to protect the planet, protect the environment that we live in. And I, I cannot stress enough that we cannot keep putting more cars on the road. It's just not going to work. There isn't enough space for them. I read somewhere and I, I'm, I'm going to, preface that I don't know how true this is but I, I, I am hinting to the fact that it's probably true that we have 300,000 cars and only 150,000 parking spaces so we've got half those cars are on the road all the time because there's nowhere to put them so I mean again I'm not sure how true that is but we'll, we'll go with it we just cannot keep putting the cars on the road there isn't enough space there isn't enough yeah uh, the, the pollution that it's causing is too much so the the environmental impact is a huge factor for me. Um, um, but then also the social element of cycling. Um, like I said, if you go for a walk and you sit on a bench, you might meet someone. Similarly with a bike, you cycle to work. I see the same sort of 15 or so faces on my way in that I smile with and nod at and because they're going in the same direction or in the opposite direction because they're all going to the same places every day. So there is that community and it can bring people together and it is a great confidence booster. It's um, something... That once people get to and get on they do it changes the way that they you know, interact with their environment my mum is a great example never learned to ride a bike at 60 put her on a bike cycle a training course and she's learned to ride a bike and now she loves it 
So it's never too late to start, never too late to learn. And she said the same thing. She didn't think that it would do very much for her, but the sense of freedom that she said that she's got from it is incredible. And um, during this time when there's been so little available for us to do, that that physical activity has helped physically and mentally. So, yeah. I mean, and the yeah, mental health side. Scary. So I was going to say, I mean, the mental health side really does change things. As somebody who's um, kind of, you know, who has depression and anxiety and the thing, the stress and things that I do, you know, I have a very stressful job. Um, but it really is a thing where um, it does help. You know, it's 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 you can read a, a million reports about it, and I tell the students all the time. But the days I cycle and the few days after, I do feel better for it. Um, you know, my legs are, aren't what they used to be, but they will be in a few weeks. Um, yes. <laughs> but you know, ment- mentally, it, it does clear you. Um, yeah. And it does provide you with that, even if, you know, I mean, I, I drive on a variety, cycle on a variety of roads with some have got very heavy traffic, some not so much, but you do feel it just feels different. And I'm in control. And if I want to get to work a bit quicker, I will. And if I want to get to work a bit slower, I will. Um, and that, that you've got that choice to, to do that, haven't you? Exactly. And I'm the same as someone who struggled with mental health, depression, anxiety and someone who knows how much I value my space on my bike and that physical space of the, you know, the air rushing through uh, at you, it's absolutely valuable. And yes, it has changed as a mother. I take less risks uh, as a mum bike. I think I do cycle a little bit slower or try to avoid the traffic where I can. And the the last one I was going to mention was um, the more people that do it, the more people that will have out there on bikes and the more impetus there'll be for safer infrastructure. So a kind of safety in numbers sort of thing. Not that I'm advocating that we all get out there and uh, those busiest roads possible to try and shoot right. some of the Everybody to Five Ways Island, let's go for it. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> terrifying. Uh, no, if, yeah, if we have a bigger cycling community, there'll be more, more of us to ask for better infrastructure and lobby for yeah. better yeah yeah well uh, you know i hope that we do get more people doing that um so looking at you know you, you said you do a lot of reports with sus trends and obviously you've got before you can make decisions you've got to have the data and the information in place to do that it can't just be well i thought it'd be a good idea let's throw 10 million pound at it you know you've got to have that proof and the data for it so you know moving forward then in terms of uh sus trends and what you what you're currently doing and what's next for you are you doing a lot with the commonwealth games coming up is that a major focus for you or are people in your teams working with regards to that because that's come in summer 2022 which is about 15 16 months away so yeah it's it's coming quick isn't it the the deadlines are starting to loom so is that something that that you're involved with yes um we would we are looking to be involved a bit further but yes we are hoping to support um some activity around that whether that's helping people to fix their bikes in order to be able to get to the games um, uh, actively or whether it's supporting some of the more um, local communities. So I know that up in Cannock is where the mountain biking is happening and we're hoping to support some of those communities around um, Cannock Chase to look at how to bring cycling into the everyday um, uh, in, in that area. But yes, I would say we're definitely involved and watch the space for a bit more. And we're still lining up our ducks and crossing our eyes and dotting no crossing our t's and dotting our eyes <laughs> <laughs> on that one yeah well make sure you get those t's and the eyes right because uh, the commonwealth yeah. games are going to be a busy time isn't it it's going to be it's, and it's really exciting you know for for birmingham as somebody who's lived here and obviously you've been here a long time now um so it's quite exciting and, and i hope that we can you know get everything sorted and and have a fantastic game so it really shows off what we've done and all the hard work the sustrans have been doing to kind of get that working i mean you've given so many great examples for why we should be doing this um and the changes that are happening. Uh, in terms of COVID then, just a, a quick one about COVID and coronavirus. I mean, we are, we're recording this just after kind of lockdown uh, three, I think mm-hmm. has finished. Yeah. Um, so we're recording just after that. So shops, non-essential shops and things opened yesterday um, as we're recording this. So has, have you seen a change in terms of transport for the COVID has brought on and and do you think if there has been a change is that going to continue or are we all just going to go oh my car I've got to go to work bang here we go again 
I really, really hope that that won't be the case, that everyone just goes, oh, get in my car and get back to work. I think so many people have seen what's possible and how comfortable they feel out on a bike when there's less traffic that I'm hoping that that will be the drive that people need, the change that people need. So with, yeah, so with that as well, and I've got a couple of different bike mechanic friends who've both sort of got a hundred, no, a thousand new people that they've both signed up as people that need support with their bikes each and they're both only in south birmingham so to think of the possibilities of how many more people all around this huge city of ours have a bike and now want to use it and all these people that have signed up to the the 50 pounds fix your bike bike voucher and want to fix their have fixed their bikes or want to fix their bikes and are now going to use them i think the the kernel has been planted or the seed has been planted and we just need to keep watering and nurturing it to grow. And by having further conversations about what the barriers are, how to make it easier and safer and more comfortable for people, um, supporting people with um, uh, training or cycling or parking infrastructure or working with workplaces to make sure that they've got the facilities at the other end or working with the college to make sure that there's somewhere for everybody to change and keep store their bike equipment and safely keep their bike. I think continuing these sorts of conversations and empowering people to have those conversations with their workplaces and their schools and uh, other environments that they go to. I think there is, the one is there, I hope, and I, um, and I, I hope that by asking SAS Transfer Support, for example, that we can get, get the movement continuing in the right direction. I don't want to see traffic levels go back to what they used to be. Um, no one deserves that. No one deserves that pollution. No one deserves that stress and anxiety and the chaos that traffic causes, the, the parking that problems, which means that your, your pavement's short, not as wide so you can't get through with your double buggy or, or with your wheelchair or the, the traffic that makes it scary for you to cross the road so you don't want to access certain spaces or go in certain directions. So I don't think any of us deserve that and we need to think about, and it will take willpower and it will take personal sacrifice in some cases you might have to get up 15 minutes earlier in order to make your journey but the best things and the things that create the best change and the biggest change and the most important change do take a little bit of sacrifice and we do need to think about that and we can't just think about ourselves and how quickly we have to get from a to b there has to be a little bit more thought around it all um, as a bit more of a what we do for each other element to it I think and that's what I've been trying to say just to friends and family and just to say look I'm not asking you to give everything up and sell your car and stop I'm just saying once a week think about one of those journeys that you make and see if you can make it actively and go from there so it's not all or nothing it's everybody doing a little bit of something um, and I do truly believe that if everybody does a little bit of something that we can see the change continue in the right direction. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, we are essentially all in this together, aren't we? You know, we've, there's a lot of people in this sitting. We, we've got to be able to help each other out on there. And this is it. We haven't even mentioned the, the growing population of Birmingham. The, you know, they're not knocking down housing estates and, and flats and apartments. They're going up absolutely everywhere. I passed two or three new um, places just on my way to work. And that's just on my route, you know, but there's going to be a lot more people in Birmingham and, and they can't all have a car because it's just not going to work <laughs> if it didn't work before how are more cars going to solve it um so you, you know we do we have got to see that change and i hope that you know people listening and watching that have gone oh maybe i will do once a week um that's just a start you know if yeah. we all just just you you have to start somewhere you know i did um i hadn't cycled for about 10 15 years or so and I couldn't have cycled five days a week to work. So it was one day and then, then maybe two, you know, and you build it up and it's yeah. worth it in the end, isn't it? It is well yeah. worth it in the end for yourself and for others. Um, yeah. And thank you for sharing all your thoughts and advice on that. Appreciate it. I'm going to ask you one more question here, if that's all right. But, but I haven't prepped you for because I'm that kind of guy. Um, so if you could go back to when you were, say, 17, 18 and give yourself a piece of advice or if you wish somebody had given you a piece of advice that you would have listened to and kind of took with you as your mantra, um, what would that advice be? I think it would be to trust your instincts and, and to take those instincts and 
run with them. I think in lots of cases, especially as a woman of colour, especially when I was a young woman, I felt that my thoughts or my ideas didn't have the same weight as other people's. And so sometimes I think I, I hid them. And then once someone at some point said something to me like, you know, this is a great idea, then I started to believe them. But for a long time, it was a lot of imposter syndrome and a lot of I don't belong here and I'm, this isn't my space for me to make a change in. And actually, if I'd have taken that bit more and trusted my own instincts a little bit more, I think it would have taken me a little bit further. So trust your instincts and believe in yourself, I think, which again sounds really cheesy. I promise I'm not that cheesy a person. <laughs> cheesy is fine. You know, you, uh, I've been trying not to apologise every time I say something that sounds cheesy, but, you, you know, but but it's but it's true. You know, this is coming it's from you. This is not another example from me standing up in front of a class like, oh, Danny's going off on one again. Um, you know, this is from you who's kind of been yeah. there, done it, um, yeah. still doing it. Uh, you know, your journey is, uh, like you said, continuing and far from over. And you're really passionate about what you do. That's so obvious. And, uh, it's a credit to you and thank you for your advice your honesty there I really appreciate it that, that will resonate with uh, a lot of our students no doubt at all um so yeah what we'll do is then I'll say cheerio in a minute stay on the line and uh, we'll have a quick finish up here but uh, for now I'll just say thank you very much for uh, talking business with me really appreciate it really and uh, all the best to you and Sustrans for the uh, for the next few forever really <laughs> <laughs> thanks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. See you later. Bye bye. Thank you. See you. I'm sure you'd agree with me that that is quite a journey that really has been on to get to where she is and importantly, where she's going and what fascinating insight into the world of sustainable transport as well. And I hope that you can take something away from that and get involved yourself and make a change to your local community in an effort to make a change to the wider community as well. Thank you again. Really, really appreciate you giving your time for us today on Talking Business with me, Danny Pardo. You can say hello to me on all the social networks. Feel free to drop me a tweet or say hello on Instagram or like, share, rate, review, subscribe, and do all the good things with this podcast that you are listening or watching today. So thanks very much, and we'll see you again on another episode of Talking Business with Danny Pardo real soon. Thank you. Cheerio. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talking Business with me, Danny Pardo. I hope the advice and insights in this episode make a difference to you, your studies and your career. You can find more by searching for Pardo's Business, that's me by the way, on Google, YouTube and Instagram. I'm also at Pardo's Business on Twitter. If you like what you heard, please do take a moment to rate, review, share and subscribe to this podcast. It's all very much appreciated. We'll catch you again soon on the next episode of Talking Business with Danny Pardo. Thanks and cheerio!